when I get to be me and you get to be you, inevitably, no matter how well, well we get along, we're going to bump into each other. It's going to cause conflict because my normal is different than your normal. And because of the way I'm wired and you're wired and everybody's wired, we each see things that are necessary that are different. And so what's paramount to me and what I see as the most glaring need is to be very different than what the glaring need is for somebody else. And it can give this feeling that, well, you don't think what I think is important is not important to you, or vice versa. And because our personalities are different, these gifts are different, we end up inadvertently hurting each other and conflict arises. If we're going to have freedom in a culture of honor and we're going to value each person as their individual, as, as God created them to be, conflict is going to arise just from that happening. That's, that's regardless of wounds and lies that create in us trigger points and ways of interacting that aren't the healthiest. So another thing that a culture of honor needs, it needs to develop a lifestyle of confrontation. And we don't like the word confrontation, but a culture of honor needs to be prepared to confront behavior that threatens the health of relational connection, the freedom of individuals, and the interdependence of our diverse gifts and callings. So often, we see ourselves as being on the same team. We're working together, and we're doing this thing called life. We're building the kingdom together. And we realize that when we're a team, we all have these different gifts, and we need it for victory, and it's great, and we love it. But then when those personalities and gifts bump into each other, when conflict arises, we suddenly stop seeing ourselves as being on the same team. And we find ourselves on different teams. And we view confrontation in that, con in that mindset. We view confrontation more like a boxing match, ex exchanging blows for blows, or a tennis match where we're hitting the ball back and forth. And the winner is the person who can deliver the last final blow or can hit a ball across and that's, that's not returnable. And most of us then feel like losers and we refrain from confrontation, particularly those who are gifted boxers or tennis players. But we don't stop being a team when conflict arises. In fact, conflict has this potential to reveal those things that can make us a better team. And it can bring to the surface those things, those wounds and lies that, can bring he that need healing, or it can bring a deeper appreciation for our different gifts. We're still working together. We're still striving together for a victory together. We're all on the same team. And confrontation needs to come from a heart that recognizes you and I are on the same team. And in this conflict, I have hurt you, or I've, I've hurt somebody, or my personality has rubbed somebody the wrong way, or I don't see that as very important. But in the midst of that, when we approach that conversation, that confrontation, it needs to be from the real, realization that we are on the same team. We are working together toward the same goal. We don't like the word confrontation, and we like doing it even less. I remember Richard Showalter's brother was down uh, a, few year, a few years ago when we were still at Greenwood. It was at a winter Bible school, and he said... Um, Conflict is, or confrontation is draining. People don't like confrontation. I said, ah, no, there are some people, some of us who thrive on it. And as we talked, I realized, yeah, when you're a, when you're a boxer and you're, you're a heavyweight and you've got the crown and you're keeping it, confrontation is fun if you're used to that type of confrontation. But I realized that vulnerable confrontation, vulnerable conversation where I open up and I just say, hey, this is what I need and this is what's happening. I didn't like that confrontation any more than anybody else. 
We don't like confrontation. But healthy confrontation is vital. What confrontation is not, it's not telling someone how wrong they are. It's not taking someone to task trying to, or chew somebody out. It's not trying to fix some other person, change who they are, and it's not even really an attempt to change the behavior that resulted in the conflict. Confrontation is simply giving information on how one person's behavior is affecting another person. It reveals value for the person and the relationship. Yes, I'm in a conflict, and I don't really want to deal with it, and it would be so much easier just to walk away and say, okay, it's fine. We'll get along. I'll just forget it, and I'll go on my merry way, and I just won't do that anymore. I just won't bring that up. It takes courage, and it takes love to say, I love you. I love this person well enough to say, I'm going to enter into this difficult conversation. I'm going to risk being vulnerable and say, when this happened, this is how I felt, and I need to feel this. We feel like if we avoid the confrontation, that's the loving thing to do. But what, what, what it can result in is a more fragile relationship because it erodes the trust. It doesn't give another person the opportunity to rebuild the trust. And we think it's on the back burner until something else happens again that triggers that same thing with that same person. And all of a sudden we're right back there again. Connection and relationship need love and they need trust. And love will compel us to enter that conversation and resolve it and work toward a better relationship. The word confront in Latin means con, which is with, face. Well, there's two ideas you can get. There's two connotations you can get that idea of with face. For one, confrontation is done in such a way that each person gets to save face. It's done in a way that everybody can hold on to their dignity. It's not demoralizing. It's not humiliating. We each can keep face. But it also means face to face. You and me. This is what happened, and I'm not going to talk to somebody else. I'm going to get face to face with you. It's a face-to-face discussion about how someone is experiencing me. Danny Silk says that the goal of confrontation is to nourish and develop and mature the relationship between two powerful people. It's not to win, it's not to judge, it's not to punish, and it's not just to find a bad guy or the victim. It's to help two powerful people bond through trust and mature the relationship. The Bible says mature love chases away fear, so this becomes the process. And this process is to trust one another by sharing the truth of what's going on inside of us. If you want, I should have given you the the reference I'm going to use. This is Matthew 18. There There are two places in the Bible where it talks about the need for confrontation. And one is Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. And you can turn there if you want to. I'm going to be reading it from the message. Typically I use um, another translation, but I like the way the message writes it. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. And if he won't listen, take one or two others. That the presence of witness might keep things honest and try again. And if he still won't listen, tell the church. And if he won't listen to the church, you'll have to start all over from scratch. Confront him with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. And so there are times... If we go through that process of confrontation, we need to start over from scratch with that relationship, and that's okay. 
So this is, this is a verse that's saying, if somebody hurts you, in Matthew, he says, if you come to the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you. So Matthew's telling us, you know what, if you've offended a brother, you go to him. And he's also telling us here, if someone's offended you, you go to him. Often what happens in conflict is triangulation. That's what I was going to use the board for. I'm not going to worry about it. If you can picture a triangle and you have three people in a conflict, you have a bad guy. This is the, typically the bad guy needs to feel in control and they feel powerful. Yet they're powerless. We don't recognize powerful and powerless always. We have a victim that the bad guy is picking on. And then we have a rescuer. Okay, each of those people have needs. Each of those people are coming to that conflict with a different thing. The bad guy is like, I got to be in control of this. The bad guy is not gonna, doesn't want to own his part of it. He's gonna, and the victim, he feels helpless and powerless, and he needs help to get out of this. And then the rescuer needs that need to feel needed. And so he, feels, he or she feels needed by helping the victim. But it avoids a true solution because the victim needs to tell the, the bad guy that he's got a pro there's a problem. And sometimes, in, particularly in church relationships, the bad guy is simply somebody that bumped into someone's wound. It's not always, often it's not somebody trying to lord it over and be in control or powerful. It's somebody that made a mistake. And do we value the connection and trust each other well enough to avoid that triangle and the victim go to the bad guy? Sometimes with the help of a rescuer, yes. But avoiding that triangle. Successful confrontation depends upon healthy, effective communication. It depends on assertive communication, sorry. It's not aggressive. You don't make time for anyone except yourself. Aggressive communication places the blame for the conflict on the shoulders of the other person, often labeling them in the process. Or you can have passes, passive communication. I know I'm nobody, and I know I'm not that important, and you have so many others who are more important, but I really would, and a, and a passive communication it feels Christ-like because it devalues one's own importance, but it really, you end up owning more of the mess than it's really yours, and it doesn't help really resolve the problem because it doesn't help the person who made the mess feel responsible enough to clean it up. And then we have passive-aggressive. Passive-aggressive is, doesn't it bother your conscience the way you ignored me yesterday? It's going around the problem. It seems to accept the nature of the conflict and deflect emotion, but at the same time, blame the other person. I was involved in a, um, kind of like a mediation between two people who really loved each other a lot, and they were, they were having a lot of conflict. And I was talking about passive-aggressive, because there's some passive-aggressive communication on both sides. And one person piped up, oh, so that means what, basically what I'm doing, I'm using kind words and a nice tone of voice to tell someone they're an a-hole. I'm like, yeah. That's what passive-aggressive communication is. Um, but assertive communication says, you know, yesterday when you walked by, I felt uncared for. You dismissed what I was saying. It, it just, I just felt like you didn't really want to care for my heart. And I need to feel heard when I share something with you. It's just open and vulnerable. We don't like vulnerability. Assertive communication recognizes I have part in a conflict and the other person has part in a conflict. The aggressive person, everybody else owns the conflict, 
The passive person, I own all the conflict. But an assertive person, I know there's part in this conflict that I own. Help me see it. And this is how I'm feeling about my experience with you. To build and protect healthy connection, we must become assertive communicators who vulnerably tell the truth about our thoughts, feelings, and needs, and are willing to listen, to understand, and adjust. That's Danny Silk. So su successful confrontation also values feedback. Feedback is crucial to a close relationship. In a culture of honor, we value giving and receiving feedback for how we're experiencing each other. And it's an important key to preserving connection and preventing conflict, but in the midst of a conflict and a confrontation. <clears throat> feedback is the, the most important means that, that we're gonna work toward restoration. Now feedback is how, feedback is how, if I could put it this way, feedback is how you're experiencing me. It's not how so-and-so is experiencing me. It's, it's this direct face-to-face -face without this other third person in the party. Now, there are times that it's okay to go with someone up to, as a support. Honoring feedback, especially corrective, needs to be grounded in the Father's heart for that person. It can't be grounded in my own wounds or my own offense or my own anger, my frustration. And so there are times that we need to process what's going on inside of us to get to a point that we can enter that conversation with truly with the other person, with the Father's heart. We, we say with the other person of mine, and I get that. There's, I'm not trying to negate that. But there's two people in the relationship, and you are just as important as me. And so if you come, if you come to me, I don't want, don't, you don't need to feel like, well, it's, it has to be all, you have to be totally concerned about me. There's two people. And we love each person, the person who has been hurt and the, per, the victim and the bad guy. Both have value. And it's all about both people and it's about the connection between them. The goal of feedback is to simply give good information. And it, we need that. Feedback is most successful in a safe environment that's created by loving, respectful ways, communication, assertive, not the others. But it also depends upon, you know what, I have enough grace for two things. I know that I can talk to you, but I also don't want you walking around on eggshells. Do we genuinely trust the good in each other's hearts to not assume that the wound was intentional? And do we value the connection well enough to not make someone give the correct language before we're going to listen to them. Grace gives freedom to be a little messy. Conflict and confrontation are very rarely, if ever, neat and tidy by the book, Danny Silk Style. Inevitably, at some point in time, usually in the beginning of the conversation, things are said that later are regretted. Do we have the grace to allow that person to be real and to make messes in the process of communication? And say, okay, I, and to look past what was said and hear what was in the heart. Was in the heart. In, a, in a recent conversation, I made the comment, well, you're just, you're just, if that's what you're thinking I said, then you're hearing what you want to hear. So I said, that's messy. That's not, that's not, a, that's not good communication. It's not loving. But in my heart, I knew, 
in my heart, I know that this person cares. And they generally do want to hear. They're not really trying to hear only what they want to hear. So feedback, when we're giving feedback, again, it's, it's going to be an echo through this because I think it's really important for us to get this. It's my responsibility to give the other person information about what's going on inside of me. I can't read their minds, and I can't, they can't read mine. We can't expect each other to do that. What seems obvious to one is not so obvious to another. So we need to give information. And that information is, this is how I'm experiencing you. I feel uncared for when this is how you respond. Not, you're so insensitive, I don't know how you can, we don't, we don't attack the person or their motives. It's good to use hero sandwiches. You start the conversation with good, of affirmation, and you have the, the conflict, and you end with restoration and a good thing. And I messages, I felt uncared for, I felt unheard when this is what happened, and I need to feel this. I felt devalued when you dismissed my contribution, what I did. And I need to feel appreciated for what I bring to the table. And remember, when giving feedback, understanding doesn't necessarily mean agreement. We can hear each other, and we can respond, and the conversation can go really good. We can still end the conversation disagreeing with the premise. And then we move on, hopefully stronger, and hopefully maybe developing more understanding. But if we have understood the other person better, then that's a win. Connection is the goal, not agreement. Now, when receiving feedback, we need to listen to understand, not listen to respond, not listen to defend, not listen to figure out where they're off. We need to really work, but I believe, because feedback has the potential to touch, to trigger things, either feelings of rejection or this person doesn't like me, they're going to leave, or it, it could trigger... I always offend people because I'm such a high D, and it's just, it's, I just don't even like who I am. It can trigger certain things. It's necessary to, to listen, to understand, and seek clarity. Let me see if I, I understand you correctly. This is what I'm hearing. Or let me see if I understand you. And if we can repeat back what the person has said, and they can say, yes, that's how, that's how I'm feeling. And... And it's not that we have to put it in their words, but we need to be able to explain it in such a way that they know that they've been heard and you know you understand what they were communicated. And when receiving feedback, I think it's really important to seek ways to validate. Most of the time, if I were in somebody else's shoes, I'd be feeling exactly the way they're feeling about what I did. If I were looking at me from their perspective and that interaction, I guarantee with all that they've gone through and the things in their life, I'd feel the same way. And so it's okay to really, it's okay to acknowledge, you know what, I can understand that perspective. It doesn't necessarily mean I agree with it, though I mean, but I can understand why you feel that way. And then identify the need that's being expressed. So I hear you saying that you didn't feel like I really cared for your heart in that. And I'm sorry. 
Sorry, and that tells us, I say this all the time in, in Sozo's, forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean someone's to blame, and neither does an apology. Apology is acknowledging that there's been a hurt. When we value the relationship and we're not seeking to protect ourselves, we can then release the expectation that those needs are communicated right. So, I feel you're always doing such and such. Okay? I don't need to protect myself, and I value the connection. So I'm going to want to overlook the always and really get to the heart of what they're saying and not say, well, you didn't really communicate that way, way you're supposed to, I'm sorry, and you should have said it better. We give feedback, we receive feedback, and are we willing to adjust to meet needs? Now, I've talked in other sermons about the rubber band effect, that, that there are certain things that are natural to us. If we hold our hands like this, we can do that forever. But there are certain things that's like holding a rubber band. And so there are aspects to our personalities that we cannot continually be that person to somebody else. But we can adjust for a time and bring that to the table. And after a while, we might need to get to the point where we're saying, I hear what you're saying and I know what you're needing, but I'm not sure I'm the best person to meet that need. Why don't we see if we can find someone who can meet that need better than I can? I'm not, by saying adjusting to meet needs, I am not saying that we need to become somebody else what people need us to be. We need to be who God has set us to be. And we need to recognize the way God wired me ticks people off sometimes. And often I've found if I explain to someone, hopefully we have the grace to realize, ah, that's that part of their personality. We were talking, when we talked about the Myers-Briggs, one of the difference between the two dichotomies is, I don't need to go into it. There are some people who see the big picture. They don't need details. They see the big picture, okay? And other people, they value details. And when they're in a conversation, the person who's giving the details wants to be able to tell the whole story. But the other person has already seen where they're going because they see the big picture. And they, are off, they have a tendency to interrupt and finish sentences because of the way they're wired. Is it insensitive? Yes, it's insensitive. <laughs> once I realize, if, uh, once I realize that, it's in, that this person needs to feel heard, then I can restrain that for a time. But I want the grace too, because we need the grace too. I put myself on the other. I'm, I'm the other person. But if I'm the person needs detail, I also need the grace to realize. You know what? That's just that part of them coming out. And say, wait a minute here. I know you know where I'm going, but I have a need to finish talking. I have a need to share this. And can we be vulnerable? Vulnerability is so key to relationships, and we don't like to do that. But exposing our needs and adjusting to meet the needs are both expressions of honor. Successful confrontation moves toward building solutions and cleaning up messes. Every problem has an owner, and the owner is the best person to clean up the mess and fix the problem, not somebody else. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't help the bad guy for me to clean up the mess for them. It doesn't help the victim for me to clean up the mess for the bad guy. The only person that helps me and doesn't really help me in the long run. It just tickles that need to be needed. But we can say, you know what, yeah, that does sound like it was really hurtful. Why don't we go together if you're not sure you want to go alone? Let, let me go with you and we'll talk about it. 
You know, sometimes people don't want to clean up the mess. And some people have a tendency, Danny describes this in the video, so if somebody doesn't want to clean up the mess and they still want to be friends, well, we can be friends, but there's still this mess here. And this mess stinks, and it's kind of making me nauseous. Could we take care of this mess? But still, in all of that, there's grace. There's grace. There's grace. I said it, I said it um, already, but in building solutions, cleaning up messes, be willing to apologize. I have, I have several times seen the value of apologizing on behalf of a, pe- of a group of people I identify with when I didn't even know the individual. I didn't, I'm, not, I'm not the one that treated them that way, but I identify with a group of people who wounded that person. And to say, you know, I don't know you, this is the first time I met you, but can I apologize to you on behalf of well, the one time I did it, can I apologize to you on behalf of Mennonites and release you to be who God created you to be? And it brought tremendous healing. I have, it, it, we avoid potential, we avoid helping people heal from those types of wounds when we say, well, I'm not the one that did it. Well, in, in reality, there comes a point where there is no one person that did it. It's an entity. It's a group. It's a system. So it, could, it comes to racism and sexism. And I don't, I don't know what you call the age thing where my generation thinks millennials are jerks. You know, ageism, there we go. Any, any of these things, it's an entity. It's a group. So, it's not, so for me to tell a millennial, I am really sorry the way my generation has treated you, the way we've dishonored you and devalued your opinion. I do want to hear what you have to say. It brings such healing. I've never dishonored that person. I think millennials are great. Most of my children are millennials. (laughs) Successful confrontation requires humility and genuine respect, and it requires honest looking at my own soul. Do I have filters that have affected the way I've received this? Do I genuinely love this person? Is the connection really what's important, or is venting what's important? That's, That's for personalities like mine. Personalities that are more quiet and less apt to confront, their question is more, am I staying quiet because it's easier? Because I just don't want to ruffle any feathers. We have, we have, there are some of us who are ready to go into it because we can't keep quiet. And there are others, temperaments, that would avoid, would avoid that confrontation because they just don't like it. They can just deal with it and go on. Have I discerned what emotions I need in this interaction? Remember, a conflict, usually, if not always, there's two parts. And so, have I discerned, before I go to this person, what are my needs? And as that person's talking, paying attention, what needs do I have? And are we willing to, in an interaction, give feedback and then receive feedback? Can it be... I don't want to use that analogy because that was a negative. Can it be a back-and-forth conversation? Yeah, I understand why you experienced that way. I'm sorry. Can I give you some information on how I was taking it or how I'm experiencing Whatever. You know, we talk about, well, I'm not going to go there because I don't want to. Do I sincerely want to understand what could be behind the actions and words that I found offensive or hurtful? 
these types of questions and asking ourselves means that confrontation needs to be a conversation, not a laundry list. And I think typically we've seen confrontation as a laundry list. Here's all the things you're doing wrong. And this is why I can't be in a relationship with you anymore. Typically it happens once the decision has been made to break the relationship. I've got all these things and finally we know we can't just go without saying something so we hand the laundry list and say, this is how I'm feeling, this is how you've made me feel, laundry list, the problems, and this is why I'm done. Rather than in the process, bringing it. I wish it was this is how you've made me feel. Usually it's this is who you are. This is who you are, it is. And this is, so and I'm wanting it to be, uh, encourage us in conf confrontation to be a this is how I feel, but also a conversation, not a laundry list. The person you're communicating with has value, and your relationship with that person has value. And it keeps coming back to, in a culture of honor, agreement is never the goal. <coughs> never. Connection is the goal. Connection is the goal, and honoring our differences. We can never be a team if the instant conflict arises, we turn into boxers. One analogy I was thinking of is a volleyball team as opposed to a tennis match. You have hitters and you have setters. For a, setter, for a hitter to come to the setter and say, I need your sets a little further from the net because when they're too close to the net, this is how I'm coming to it, and I end up in the net or end up not getting a good spike. There's nothing wrong. That, that's good communication. The setter doesn't need to say, well, then forget it. I'm not going to set you. I just don't know how to set you because they're on the same team. And have you seen teams, when you see the moment, they start to blame one another? Or they blame one or two people. Or one individual thinks, well, it ain't my fault we're losing. I'm doing everything right. I'm putting the ball where they need it, and they're still getting in it. A, a team means, hey, this is what I need. And a team also realizes, this is a beginning setter. Let her get, we're going to let her get her feet under and she's going to learn to set and, and keep encouraging and not giving up on encouraging. It's going to realize this, this, this girl, she's got a lot of potential to hit a hard overhand serve and we need to keep encouraging rather than groaning whenever she gets up to serve. It's a team effort. We don't, we don't stop being a team. A culture of honor is what we want to develop here and whether... And, Healthy confrontation is a necessary part of it. And can we, can we be vulnerable with one another and develop a lifestyle of confrontation that can strengthen our relationships rather than separate us? I guess the, the prayer team can come up. Um, if, if, a, if, if a conflict arose in your mind as I'm talking that's still not settled, and you just want someone to pray with you for the courage, for whatever, come up and have someone pray with you. If you have other prayer needs, come to the table. If you're, and if you, need, if you need healing, come to the table. Come on up. If you need healing, we got some kids involved in the praying. These kids are powerful prayers. Maybe you need a, maybe you need a prophetic word. Welcome you to come on up. I'm going to go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you for connection. I thank you for the house here. I thank you for the people here and the love that you have given us for one another. And thank you for tools to develop and to build and strengthen our relationships. And I pray for the courage to be vulnerable with one another. I pray for increased understanding 
of one another. And I pray for a strengthening of the teamwork, that we would continue to see ourselves as all on the same team, and that, we've worked, that we're working together. In Jesus' name, amen.